pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. My Houston Texans select Davis Mills, QB from Stanford. That was really short pass. Very smart. He was one of the top quarterbacks in the country, if not the top quarterback in the country when he was coming out of high school. So there's a lot to work with. And had he gone back for 2021, played a full year, he could have been a first-round pick. Welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. The Texans went offense on their first deep picks, a QB, a wide receiver and another tight end and at the back end some guy called Roy, a couple of undrafted free agents to talk about. But here's my conversation with Texans Thoughts, Jordan talking your Texans 2021 draft. Jordan, 16 hours of draft coverage. How are you feeling after all that? Not going to lie, I was a little tired at first, but I'm ready. I'm recharged, recharged the batteries, and I'm ready to talk Texans football. Let's get into it. Thank you for having me once again. It's always a great time with you. No, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate the time. I think it's it was a strange one, I think, in terms of the the approach. I definitely, for a second, I don't think Casario had too many players on the board. Yeah, it was a it was a weird draft year for sure with the with the lack of information, you know, um, a lot of 2020 opt outs. You only had 2019 film to go off for a lot of guys. Um, no combine. It definitely, I think you're right. It it probably shortened Nick's board, and that's why you saw he's and and now you've got a small undrafted free agent class. So I think he's probably looking forward to the future a little bit more than than 2021. He's focusing on 2022, 2023. Yeah, I think so. And it it seems. You see, I suppose when you when you thought ahead of this draft at any point, you probably didn't think they were going to draft a receiver. Um, so, well, you probably thought receiver, but I think in terms of quarterback, that didn't really seem obvious. But I suppose when you see the connections and and some of the origins of the pick, it maybe was a bit more obvious than potentially people sort of thought prior to prior to it happening. But did did you um did you think well, one, if you push the player aside, what would you have made prior to the draft of a quarterback being taken at 67 overall with your first pick? Um, yeah, I would have thought, you know, if it was a quarterback, um, only Mac Jones at 67. But other than that, I would have rather gone pretty much any other direction. I mean, best player available is, is always kind of the thought in the draft. And looking at the board, how it fell out, there was, there was a lot of better players, in my opinion, than the one that we took. But quarterback i mean it is technically your biggest need with the deshaun watson stuff going on it's so i understand it i understand why they went it but it's definitely definitely a shocker definitely an emotional roller coaster that third round was yeah i think as well it's it's kind of it's kind of an odd one because you when you when you think of all the i suppose it it was never going to be the year to fix all your problems it was never going to be the year that it would turn around a roster that's you know completely bereft of talent, but it it seemed like I think to Casario is binary, and he he talked about when he was talking about the players and the potential picks. He talked about cost benefit analysis. He used the word inventory to talk about it. So I think when he looked at the board, 
They had the connections there. They had the background on him, which was probably a plus to some of the similar ranked players. But then also there's a bit big upside there. And whether that's if he can actually come and play for this ball club or whether, you know, potentially you could trade him if you, if you, you know, if you go in a different direction at a later date. Yeah, I think that's the that's kind of the best hope. Flip Davis Mills, the quarterback, um, and maybe he's you know kind of your Jimmy Garoppolo, like the Patriots and Nick Cas- Nick Casario. He's that's always been their formula, you know, try and take these mid round quarterbacks, even if you got Tom Brady on the roster, try and take your Jimmy Garoppolo's, Jacoby Brissett's, those type of guys, and and get better draft capital because the quarterback position, man, most valuable in the, in the game. So there's always going to be demand for it, and teams are always going to be willing to overpay a little bit more i mean look at the deals that it took to get matthew stafford that it took to get carson wentz and so obviously davis mills isn't those types of talents but maybe one day he can be and maybe you're getting a mid second round pick or even a a late first round pick at the very best i think so um from that standpoint if that's what you can get out of it i I totally understand the pick and and i suppose the question is can the kid play right and my notes would when i went through it in terms, I think he watched seven games. He's a pocket-style passer. He's got footwork. He's very smooth. Doesn't waste a lot of movement. He's got touch on the ball, and he can anticipate throws. And he, he and he's not immobile, and he and he can definitely read the field. So you think of all the fundamental stuff there that sometimes you know a lot of kids they could have all the athleticism in the world, but you can't teach some of that stuff. So you think. The, the bases are there and, and being at Stanford you'd expect that being a big recruit out of high school you'd expect that but it, but I think that you've got to temper some of those expectations or what that ceiling might be because he's had two major knee surgeries he's only played 11 games of college pro and in the pack 12 at that and there's some definitely some big warts on his film yeah definitely I think he's a player for sure there, there's something in there um he's not just like a pure scrub that should have went undrafted that's never you know the thought process here but like you said when you're when you're scouting you know college players you want to look for traits traits that can translate to the nfl and you said it perfectly like his anticipation his ability to read the defenses he shows flashes of it um is it always perfect no i mean you're gonna get two quarters where it's amazing and then two quarters where it's horrible and he doesn't look like an nfl player at times um but Hopefully there is a guy in there. Um, how high his ceiling is, that's probably something that we can we can only really figure out when he really sees NFL snaps. Um, but as of right now, it, it looks like a player that hopefully, you know, maybe he'll be a, a really high-end backup for you or he can be a, a low-end to average starter. I think that's kind of a an early projection until we see more more snaps out of him from the from the NFL level. You know, you never know what kind of mental jump or, or are the or are these guys going to be able to make that mental jump? That's the, I think that's always the key, isn't it? Is is you know all these guys they come in the league of all these two hundred and sixty picks or whatever it was, and it's can they mentally adjust and give you know the work and put in what they need to to try and be an athlete at this level, and that that's the challenge for him. And you think for the background for the college he was at, and he talked about some of the protections in front of him were actually more complex that they used at Stanford than they are in the pros. And I think so the, the mental side of it, I think you probably can't underestimate how much of a potential advantage that's going to be for the guy. But I think what, what we've probably got to understand is it's going to take time uh, for a guy to develop who's only had 11 starts. And I think you're right when you say potential backup level standard because he's got 
you know, a lot if you watch the USC game from 2019 and he, he, he throws 46 attempts that night and a lot of them end up in the dirt, a lot of them bounce, you know, everybody talked about the UCLA TP overthrows, he airballs Fioko at a key time in the game on on a, on a on a run up the seam and he just, it just seems like, my my overall thought of him was that there's, there's good plays, there's good series, but there's no end-to-end -end four quarters of football, and that's what he's going to have to work out in his head, how he can piece that together if he's going to be successful, because I think he could be a guy who has a good run game around him, has some good skill positions, has decent protection, and he could be serviceable with time. But I think the challenge for the Texans is how do you get in another COVID-effective off-season, in a season where you're probably set to tank, where you're probably going to look to trade your franchise passer at some point, you don't even think you'd even be talking about this. How are you going to get him those reps? And perhaps those four preseason games become very or almost invaluable um, to his development and, and then to potentially the Texans' longer-term plan, depending on what he can show he's got. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right in terms of his projection where, you know, he's he's not going to be a quarterback who's going to you know carry an entire offense like Deshaun Watson has the ability to do you know he's going to need to be someone who you build around a little bit more you got to make sure you get him a good line you got to make sure you get him his his throwing weapons a strong run game and so that you've got a a balanced team we're seeing more and more that quarterbacks can't purely carry teams based off of their talent alone Deshaun Watson couldn't do it even guys like Aaron Rodgers he can't do it alone. He needs one of the better offensive coordinators in the league. He still needs a good offensive line, good weapons, good running game. And, and even then, you know, there's still a lot of variables to be factored in. So I think Davis Mills is a guy who, yeah, he'll need some more help. But I think we should start normalizing giving quarterbacks more help and not asking them to do everything and eat everything on their plate and just carry a team. Um, but, yeah, the second part of that, you know, how do we get this guy who, like you said, 11 college starts – he needs more in-game experience to improve his feel for the game, um, his his feel for dealing with pressure, his feel for reading, you know, NFL-level coverage schemes and, and blitzes and stuff like that because that is stuff he's, he struggled with at Stanford. But the good thing, the reason that gives me some hope, some confidence for his development is Pep Hamilton. And, you know, we, we don't have to go into all of his vast experience, but it's a good resume he's got there. And so hopefully, you know, you can take Mills along, develop him at his own pace, um, just have good communication back and forth with him, see if give him as many reps as possible in training camp, in, you know, joint practices, in preseason. And then hopefully, if you can see a little bit something out of him in the 2021 season, that'd be amazing. Maybe it's the last two, three games of the season and you just kind of get his feet wet and get to see what he's got. That would be ideal. Um, but it also wouldn't surprise me if, we don't see his first action in game until maybe 2022. I think that would be the, the ideal for him, I would think, as well. And I think just getting in an NFL building, getting into the program, making sure that knee's healthy, that he missed all of his final year of high school. He's still, you know, still he committed early. I think his two offers were Stanford and Georgia. So he's obviously got pedigree. There's obviously a lot there that he can potentially work with and, and the coaching staff can work with. But I think he's going to have to clean up some of those mental process and stuff that he gets wrong, trying to throw it for a, a four-verse call into cover four, um, checking the ball down to, you know, 
changing the, the, the play at the line of scrimmage, just getting that mo mental pro processing element to the next level. If he can do that better than than other players have done because he's capable and he's got the aptitude to do that, then I think some of the warts and, and some of the stuff like the deep ball accuracy, some of the kind of kind of throws that he makes where he just seems to lose concentration or not trust his eyes at times. Will be it'll be the bit that he can really, really develop his game. But I think it's it's an interesting pick with potential upside. It could be the greatest pick you've ever made with the lowest risk. If it you know even turns into a Matt Shab level kind of standard or you know or somebody like that. And I think he ceilings up there as a game manager potentially. He reminds me sometimes of Ryan Tannehill the way he scrambles into the end zone for one of the games. I think it was Colorado uh, this year, and I think he there, there there is pockets of good. It's just trying to smooth all those edges off and you know would have another year at Stanford been the best thing for him yeah possibly and look people seem adamant that he could have been a first round pick next year because there's been a number of guys and it's happening more and more you've not really heard of them until the season prior they, they blow up and they go top you know they go they go to the top of the first round like Matt Jones did like like uh, Baker Mayfield did like Zach Wilson did again. So like, it, look, it happens. It happens, and it, that could have been him. And if if it, if he is good enough to do that, then it could be the greatest pick that we've, that Casario might ever make, and then try and be a big reason why he steers us out of this mess. Now he got aggressive, and he went up in the third round and went after Nico Collins in a big way, giving up a fifth and two fourth to get back in the third. It was a heavy price to pay, um, but from an analytical binary point of view it seemed like he he thought it was the right move but what do you think of nico collins and what do you think of the move to go and get him john yeah nico collins was was my favorite pick of the draft hands down and i think you know starting from like you said an analytical um draft value standpoint um we basically gave up a third round pick to move up in and in, into the third i think another third round pick to go get your guy like you better be confident as hell that this is a player who not only, you know, maybe could be a starter for you, a, a solid starter, but also a guy that you're not going to get a similar player later in the draft with that fourth round pick, with that fifth round pick. And that's why I feel that's why I'm in agreement with them making this trade, because, yes, it was one of the it was arguably the deepest wide receiver class in, in nearly a decade. But there aren't a lot of big body you know jump ball contested catch wide receivers in this draft class nico collins this is a dude who guys like him don't just grow on trees he they're hard to find six four ran a four four five 40 yard dash has a 37 inch vertical long wingspan too i mean he's got all the physical attributes that you could potentially want and what i really love about the dude is that you know, it's the intangibles. That's what I really like to, it's hard to find in players to evaluate college guys. But one thing that you can see is do they improve every year? That kind of speaks to their work ethic. And so going back, watching his 2018 tape, then you watch his 2019 tape. And then, yeah, he opted out of 2020, but you saw him at the senior bowl. And each year he looks a step faster. Each year, his hands get a little stronger. Each year, his routes get a little bit more crisp. And so that really speaks to, you know, his willingness to put the work in and to be great. And this is a guy, when you pair that work ethic with the physical traits, I mean, his ceiling is high from that regards. I think you're getting a potential wide receiver one. At the very least, you're getting a a solid, you know, wide receiver two, maybe wide receiver three. And he's going to be a great jump ball guy for you, great red zone threat. And that's something that this Texans offense needed. So I personally love the pick.
Yeah, I think when you look at the, I mean, I don't think well. Certainly, if you watch his twenty nineteen tape, obviously he opted out last year from from a COVID angle. But it's six four two fifteen that he's coming. He's, he looks like he's playing a bit lighter than he than he did when he, when he was at the Senior Bowl. Anyway, um, he didn't look like he played like that four three nine in twenty nineteen. But if he shifted some pounds. Then uh, he potentially c- could be, but a seventy-nine inch wingspan, I think. But he he runs a number of routes, and I think it was all like you can watch his highlights, and it's just jump ball after jump ball after jump ball. Getting you know, there's, there's a I think it's against Maryland. He goes up between two guys and comes down with the ball. You know, we've not really had that since we jettisoned D Hop, and and we didn't really have that before. And the you know Andrew Johnson was a guy like that, but you know in the red zone when you need a score. These guys can be so valuable. Now, people have said Shea Patterson, you know, compressed his numbers, you know, potential first round pick if he plays with a good quarterback and and a a slightly better system because it's hard to evaluate these guys when it's so run heavy. Um, You know, when you're watching a a 2018 tape and Karan Higdon, a guy who didn't make even make our roster, is you know, as a as a big feature back for them. So, you know, there's there's different types of route against Penn State. He he runs a great comeback in 2019, leaves the guy on the floor and takes it up the sideline. You know, there's there's different types of ways he wins, and I think you've got an ex receiver prototype there who could potentially, you know. He can move the chains as well. If you watch the Bamman tape in 2019, he beats Patrick Sertan in a short, you know, hard yards first down um, on a on a third down play, you know, running across the middle. So, I think what what encourages people or what should encourage people about Nico Collins is the amount of different ways he can win. And if he is playing up to that four three nine, being sort of ten fifteen pounds lighter. Then I think the guy's got a high upside. Now, of course, it'll be dependent on you don't want an Andre Johnson didn't have enough good guys throwing him the ball, and Mills and maybe even Deshaun might you know be there. But I think in terms of going up, I don't think you'll ever think about LA's fourth round next year too much if he has a great season and he's he's set up to be you know a wide receiver who can lead your team and and lead drives you know longer term. I think those those picks. You'll not you'll not think about them too much if it pans out, but I think certainly in terms of the investment, it's probably a pick for Casario that's going to have to to pan out because he's really nailed his nailed his opinion to the master by going up and being so aggressive to get him. Yeah, I I think obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. If if he shits the bed next year, obviously it's going to look like a horrible pick. But as of right now, you know this is a guy who was on, you know in terms of experts, like a lot of them had him in the second round. I had a second round grade on him as well. And so to get him in the, you know, mid late third, that's great value right there. And then you've also got the connection to Michigan. And so Pep Hamilton has a connection there. And also our new, uh, one of our new coaches, I forget the exact. Oh, position, it might be Daniels. Yeah. He's the wide yeah, receiver McDaniels. offensive something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some offensive assistant. So they have that knowledge. We talked before about how, you know, they had kind of some insider knowledge on Davis Mills. And you see that again with um, with Nico Collins. So it's interesting definitely to see, you know, Pep Hamilton's um, reach and, and, you know, persuasion over the team and, and that they value his his opinion so highly. Yeah, and I think again, insight. I think they probably overvalued that this year, like they did last year. And you've got it. I think on the face of it, though, I think from the first two picks, you kind of feel better about it. I think in the third pick, which I think is my favorite, probably. Again, you didn't see them going off or, or offense again, but you know, as death and taxes and the Texans draft a tight end, it seems to be 
um, the way. And I, I thought when I saw Bevan Jordan, I was on actually another podcast chatting to the guys. Uh, my initial reaction was, I think he's an F move tight end, and I think you know we've already got them, but we'll see. You know, must have been a best player available value that they thought they should sit and take there at the top of the fifth after giving up the other fifth and a fourth to go and get Nico. So you've kind of lost two guys there. Um, potential, you know, value picks. So again, puts the pressure on Collins to to to, to be a, a reason, you know, a, a productive player for you. But in terms of the the ball carrying uh, ability of Brevin Jordan, like he was a big big part of that offense. And obviously Derek King, who guys will be familiar with, moving over from the University of Houston, he was he was obviously slinging him the ball there this year. But when you you look at a guy who's delivered, you know, at six three two four five, he maybe looks a bit lighter than that, the two forty five. But seven touchdowns this year, and if you look at his game against North Carolina, 120 yards, same against Louisville, and then I turned on the tape at the against OSU in the Cheez It Bowl, and uh, the guy's got power, and he uh, he scored two touchdowns that night, Jordan. But he he looks like he could be a really productive player, and I think if you watch the film from the start of 2020 to the end, it looks like he's an ascending yeah, player. Yeah, I was a big fan of the yeah. My my thoughts on Brevin Jordan at first, it was like ah. Uh, another tight end and then you look at the guy and, and his archetype is kind of you know this more receiving tight end and i'm thinking ah, oh, another jordan akins but thinking about the pick more like you said the value was definitely amazing this is a guy who and some say he's the second best tight end at least the third best tight end in this entire class so to get that in the fifth round that's always great we've always said we got to go best player available no matter the position i know ideally we would have liked more defensive help but best player available that's what you got to focus on in the draft and so they did that with brevin jordan um and i and i'm with you on on your kind of take on him your evaluation on him is that you know he's a guy who a lot like jordan akins he's gonna get you yards after the catch you get the ball in his hands out on the in the flat on a screen and, and he had this nice play where he hurled a, a defender and dove for the end zone and he almost had the touchdown there but he he's a high effort player for sure so he pairs that great athleticism with high effort in the passing game and getting you yak. And in the blocking game, I know a lot of people like the initial thought on Brevin Jordan is, oh, he's a receiving tight end. So that means he can't block. And while he's no Pharaoh Brown at blocking, the main thing that I look for is just willingness. Are you willing to be physical, put your head down and go hit someone? And he's more than willing. So while he's not always the most effective blocker, I think he has a a dog inside of him where you can coach that up from him and the Texans they they hired the Ravens assistant tight end coach um Richard Angulo and so if there's one thing that the Ravens tight ends you know they excel in it's blocking so you can teach him some of the technical aspects of that you pair it with his willingness and I think you've got kind of the potential to be an all-around tight end for the future and you think that this kid is only 20 years old I mean the sky's the limit so I think you've got yeah, more of a Jordan Aikens type of role for him, but he's got more potential to be all around, more potential to hit a higher ceiling because when we took Aikens, he was already, I believe, 26 or 27 years old. So going at 20, I mean, that's great. That's really great. Yeah, well, I think when I watched the Duke game for a second uh, and he, he scores a, a TD in that one, but he, and he blows up, he blows a block on a screen early and I thought, oh, maybe the ball blocking. And there's a couple of times where he, he, he drops some balls as well, but then he... But then he catches a one-hand grab in the in the in the in the in the bowl game against the OSU. So you think it's a bit of mixed tape. And then I put it on the Florida State game, and he seals the edge and they score a touchdown uh, in the, in the red zone. And he's and he's 
in there. It was obviously a more physical game plan where they're going to have to run the rock a bit more, and it was going to be less of a passing attack in Florida State. You know, usually bringing out a couple of good linemen each year, but he goes in there and, and he does a serviceable job. And look, if if it, if he can block serviceably on combo blocks and then leak out and play that role rather than be the primary blocker that you, you might ask, you know, maybe that's why Ryan Izzo here is, or what the, the role that sometimes Darren Fells kind of failed is at at times, um, then I think, you know, I think it's going to be a great pick at that at that point if he can do, because I think if you if you can block or show a willingness to block, like you said, and it's all about attitude, and you can give us yards after your catch, 66%, I think, of his, his yards after catch were, uh, or, his, or his yak yards um, were, 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 you know, after the catch of his total yards, rather, were 60%. So, you know, he, he scores big, long 47-yard touch, touchdown against Louisville, um, he, he goes unnoticed in coverage and, and leaks out and, and runs right up the seam and you know he attacks the seam and I think the Texans have really not had many players that can do that. Jordan Aitkins is threatened and I think he'll potentially. Well, I think two things. I think he he is a replacement. I think for Aitkins um, if they don't decide to re up them and you think in a sort of rebuilding focus on the future an F tight end you might not pay. Um, and I think Cahali we're probably going to be ordering some new wax for that surfboard because I don't think he's probably going to be on the roster either if now we've gone that position. You know, a lot can change, but it certainly feels like that's a bit of a domino effect on a couple of current Texans where the, the new regime haven't got ties to. Yeah, I love what you brought up about him attacking the seam. He had one really nice um, route where he even adjusted his route. He was running a slant initially um, out of the slot, and, you know, there's a bunch of guys in the box, so the slant didn't look good. And so he adjusted it more to be kind of a post and, and get behind those linebackers, like you said, sneak behind them. And um, D.R. King saw it on the same page, and so that was great. Um, yeah, he had seven touchdowns in eight games, which is, is just great. Um, but, yeah, I think initially my initial reaction I tweeted out is rest in peace Jordan Aikens, I think, because his role is exactly the same. And, and definitely I'm with you. Kahale Waring is probably the first man out, but maybe not this year, but the year after when Jordan Aikens' contract is up, like – is Brevin Jordan time. In tight ends, one thing to be wary about is that typically they take the longest out of any position to develop. They, the first year is usually ugly. Even the top guys, even you look in the past years, guys like TJ Hawkinson, where, you know, top 10 pick talents, and you think they're going to translate right away, but they don't. There's just a lot to learn with the tight end position. And so Brevin Jordan coming into it at 20 years old, he can learn from some of the vets. Um, and Vera Brown, Jordan Aikens on the roster. And then 2022, I think that's his year to shine, man. He's going to take over potentially as the tight end one, and we're going to see good returns on that one. Yeah, and I think if you if you watch him, he lines up as, at the center point in a bunch of formation and trips. He lines up in the slot. They flex him out wide. He runs a speed out like option in one of the games. Like there, there's so many different routes that he can run. He's flexible. He obviously knew the the whole offense, and you think sometimes with a fifth round pick. They don't necessarily have all the natural talent, but you think they might be a bit more of a of a of a mentally you know able player. Um, and it looks like he can definitely do that. And he's got some you know premier upside in terms of in terms of being able to run routes and being able just to be a to be a, a, a dominant player. And I think if you watch him in the in that in the bowl game, there's one where he, he hurdles the DB and takes it in. And there's a there's a, a play right at the start of the game. I tweeted it out, and he knocks guys over like 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 pinballs to go and dive for the first down and he's past the first down but you see the the height weight speed element that people talk about and I think he could have been 
you know, if you see, uh, I think Johnny Harris as well had him as his thirty seventh ranked overall player. Like other guys like Lance Sterling, kind of you know opinions you maybe trust less so. But I think look, it's all you know people are always going to have different opinions, and it seemed like though for for you know for all the the gurus out there and the people that are not working directly for personnel units had him far higher than he went. Now, maybe there must be some reason behind that. Maybe character. It maybe. It may be health, but uh, but certainly, as you said, it looks like that could have been the best value pick considering they just sat there and the board felt him. And it might have been the first time the board felt him in a way they would have wanted. Um, but we will see. Now, after that point, the draft kind of gets a bit thinner in terms of volume and in terms of quality, I think, as well. So the Texans trade up twice and they were on the clock at 170 coming up from the sixth round into the the back end of the fifth. So they trade with Buffalo. Nobody's really noticed at that point. I noticed it on the tracker. Um, nobody really kind of seems to kind of pick that one up. And yeah, no, nobody seems to kind of really pick that one up. And we're, we've traded up really early. And Jordan, you kind of thought there was maybe something that, or you'd picked up on that potentially there was a guy they'd missed out on um, at that point. But they maybe showed their hand too early perhaps. Yeah, so they traded up, and there were still about 15 picks to go, which is which is usually pretty odd. Usually, when you're trading up, you're gonna go into you know either the pick on the clock or the pick right after because then you know you're to last. So there's still 10, 15 chances where their guy could have gotten taken. And Benjamin Albright, he's a longtime NFL insider, covers the Broncos, and he mentioned that you know the Raiders they took Nate Hobbs, the cornerback out of Illinois, at 167. And the Texans were sitting there at 170. him. They had the connection um, with Lovey Smith, formerly coaching Illinois. They knew he's a cornerback that, hey, he's a guy who knows the system already. He can play in the system. You know, you got to trade up to either the pick on the clock or the pick right after that to, to secure secure your guy. But they ended up getting Garrett Wallow, linebacker out of TCU. And in my opinion, it, it, it maybe wasn't the greatest pick. I think there were a lot of other players um, on the board there that I would have enjoyed better. But he's... You know, kind of the archetype of the linebackers that we've been signing. He went, yeah, going early just kind of seemed odd because you showed your hand at that point. And, you know, I don't think that, you know, I'm pretty sure if you pulled all 31 other organizations, they're probably going to say, well, I'm surprised they've not taken a corner yet. So if that was, you know, if that was definitely the plan, which would definitely make sense, then they've probably got themselves to blame on that. But it was the fact they went up again. Um, and maybe that was the point that, that the, uh, they showed their hand too much. I, I don't know. Um, but I, I, I watched two games today um, of Garrett Wallow, and I've not got a clue what they were looking at. Um, he's definitely, in terms of like the archetype of linebackers that we've been going after, you know, athletic but undersized, you know, good in coverage, not so good in the run game, great special team aces, you know, great like personable personality to that type. Um, Walla was a team captain. He never missed a game in college. He's got all those intangibles that you could want. But, I mean, I'm kind of tired of, of going after those guys who are better people than better football players. And, and like you said, you turn on the film, you watch him play, and there's times where the dude just looks kind of lost. He's definitely a, a raw developmental linebacker who's got a lot of work to do. Um, and athletically, I think even like, yeah, he has the athleticism to maybe be okay in coverage, but he's not like a questionable to trade up three picks for that role of a player um and so that's why you know i'm not the highest on that pick yeah i think he, he's, li he's listed at 6-1 he doesn't look like he plays at 6-1 and that might just be due to his pad level i don't know but I, I don't know if that's a an overestimation 
of his height. I think when you look at it, you see 90 tackles, uh, 9 TFLs, 5 QB hits and 3 sacks to boot. You think, oh, right, a productive player. But I, I, I turned on the Oklahoma State game, um, first of all, and and then and then I played and then watched them against uh, um, this, the Oklahoma Sooners as well. And the, the first game, he, well, the second game against the Sooners, he lined up at Mike for most of the game, played a couple of different spots, but I thought he, he, he's got a terrible habit of reading or guessing the wrong hole, doesn't let the play develop, and just gets locked up by linemen who, who particularly against um, the Sooners, just come and swallow him up. He looks like a small guy swallowed up. Now, there was, there was I think there was a couple of plays where, where he, well, I think overall he makes the plays that he should, so he's functional. But I, I didn't see anything that flashed. You think, oh yeah, shedded the block when it made the tackle. Didn't do that at all. And I think considering you gave up three, basically three picks to, to, to go up and get to that spot, and then that's who you take. I don't know at that point. You then try and trade out um, after trading up twice. Then maybe you've lost all your leverage with other teams, and they'll see that. But maybe if he wasn't the guy, then. I, I don't I don't see why you take him at that point because he there's there's a a, a play he gets he gets completely shown up and so it's so uncovered so you don't know the responsibilities and what the roles and the rules are for the for the guy going from the second level to the third level you don't know that unless you're in the call so it's hard to criticise him but he gets called out on the broadcast for it and the guy guy goes and takes it up a long a long gain uh, up the sideline on a sort of crosser. And he, he gets called out for it. So he makes all the plays that he should do when he's free. He'll go and he'll make a tackle and he's functionally sound. But there was times where there was one game in the, I think it was the Oklahoma State game, where he, he takes a bad angle, the guy beats him to the corner. And uh, and then when he actually goes in for the tackle, he's, he's really high. So, you know, watch. I've only watched those two games, but certainly, you know, it was difficult to see what they what they potentially see and how they th saw a guy like that as a as a draftable creator. He looks like the perfect undrafted free agent. That's what he looks like. You know, he does things well, but nothing particularly well to make him get drafted. So, yeah, I just thought that one that was probably the most disappointing pick for me. You know, Jordan uh, uh, David Mills is um, is upside. I think, but Garrett Wallowy just looks like a player who you've kind of relied on a potentially relied on a coaching relationship there. Um, to 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 develop, you know, to have a player there rather than than not picking. But I think as Casario said a number of times, you didn't want to just be picking players for picking sake. So I don't know if he was, you know, potentially a borderline undrafted grade, and you just you had to take a couple of players because you'd run out of guys you you maybe had grades on. Yeah, it it was a tough one for me to put my head on as well. I think, um, like you said, he's just overall there's a lot of you know rawness and, and to his game and improvements that need to happen like he has some of the intangibles like you said like he's he's a willing like to do everything on the field like he's gonna fly around the field he's a high effort guy um he's gonna put all that effort into it um but there's just not a lot of, you wish that there were more splash plays and and you know stats especially at the college level are are not always the most accurate in terms of projecting you know success at the nfl um, especially at the linebacker position where, you know, tackles are going to be kind of spoon-fed to you almost depending on your defensive scheme. And so I think with Wallow, um, I think the best option for him is being kind of this will linebacker where, like you said, he doesn't have to play Mike, take on blocks. He doesn't have to maybe read as many keys in the run game. He can just chase it from the backside, do that. And then he has the athleticism to be good in coverage, um, but he needs definitely some work there, some more in-game experience in that. Um, 
But yeah, I think overall, even if you're going to go, if you're set on going linebacker at the position after missing out on the cornerback, Nate Hobbs, there's a guy, Cameron McGroney, who went, how many more picks was it? Um, seven picks later to the Patriots. Um, Cameron McGroney out of Michigan, much better player in my opinion, um, who would have been a better pick. But it is what it is at this point. It's the fifth round. It's, it's no reason to, to cry over spoiled milk. Well, that's it. And I, I just could understand, if is it a lack of athleticism in terms of his lateral movement ability or is it just a mental process and read and react? Go and go and understand which gap that the guy's about to hit and go and fill it because I think he, when he, you know, and he, I always laugh when you're watching the draft coverage, right? And you go, oh, the guy's got blitz and ability, and you see a, a play they've cut up where he's just, you know, running to the backfield completely unchallenged. You think, well, it's not really blitz and ability, is it? You know, so and you, you see that happen all the time. Whereas, you know, I just couldn't understand what what he was bringing to the table at that point after you've traded up. But as you said, I think it makes all the sense in the world that it was potentially somebody else they were after and they missed out. And it was, they, they were, you know, it was the next best available rather than best available for them at that point. So a strange one, but we'll see. Um, and maybe he can, maybe he can coach Ross Blacklock through some games and get him and get him some, uh, and get him some, get some production out of him, maybe potentially. But I tell you what, John, I, I, if you flip on the tape today, I watched the Colorado game and the USC game um, and a bit of the Arizona Arizona State game. Um, and uh, Roy Lopez, look, he is not refined. He's not a great athlete by any stretch. But there's a game against there's a There's a, uh, basically a, a goal line uh, push that they've got. So he actually stops a... The, he, he part stops a play and then they do score on the play but you do see him and he pushes right through the pile um, and he, the only person to push them right back is, is Lopez and I think that I actually sort of get, I put the clip in I think his agents actually retweeted it um, so he must have liked it but the, 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 there's some flashes there in the Colorado game he gets up the middle um, he gets in the quarterback's face you know, creates a hurry and creates an interception so like I don't think he's refined he gets tired and his pad level gets high but I think you know, of of you look at his bench reps, ex wrestler. I think this guy's potentially got some upside if they can coach him up and be you know one of these one two down guys that can stop the run. Because if you watch him against USC, there's every, just about every play when he's on the field, there's two blockers on their offensive line going after him. So it's obviously schemed up that way. So I think here, you know, it's it's all it's all found money at this stage of the draft. But from just the flash I saw, you could at least go unlike Wallow. I thought. Yeah, there's potentially on there. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you on Roy Lopez. I think historically, if there's one position that, you know, tends to have more success, a higher hit rate in terms of finding later in the draft, it's definitely your your run-stuffing defensive tackles. And, I mean, you look back at even the Texans, like DJ Reader in the fifth round. So there's always guys like that who, yeah, maybe they're not going to get after the quarterback at a high level. But in terms of defending the run, being that big space eater, take on double teams in the middle of the defense, which every team needs and our defense certainly needs. We definitely felt um, the impact of losing DJ Reader last year. Brandon Dunn couldn't keep it up. Um, PJ Hall couldn't fill that role, right? So we definitely, that was a hole on the defense, in my opinion, the biggest hole on the defense. And maybe Roy Lopez doesn't fill that this year, but potentially next year, like you said, like he shows a few things that you really like to see out of your developmental defensive um, lineman. I really like center of that defense be the first guy off the ball attack the offensive line before they attack you and so i like that he starts off low 
um, in the beginning of the game with good pad level. But like you said, he's a big guy. I think, you know, rotating him and out, him in and out of games more, getting his snap count down a little bit more will allow him to play um, with more energy and, and more intensity and, and better pad level throughout the entire game. Um, but there's there's something there with him. There's something yeah. there. I do too love that he's a wrestler. I love his hair, best hair in the draft class. It's easy to spot on the tape as well. You just exactly. see the bit. <laughs> so he's uh, an easy guy to root for for sure. Yeah, and I think that I mean there, there's times where he actually delays he, he delays a bull rush and actually it, it's effective sometimes. So like you can you can almost see a role for him as well. And like when you turn you know when you see that in the film, you think you know you can feel good about that guy. And look, I mean, and these other guys they might have a defined role. I don't know. Um, just a side note, I've not actually talked about this at all. Jaleel Johnson coming in. Do you think he's able to play the one tech? Or are we relying on others there? Because he seems like a guy, again, when you watch him on tape, he flashes obviously been in Minnesota the last couple of years. Yeah, so Minnesota Vikings defensive lineman, they usually have a great track record. And um, he started, I believe, 16 games for them last season. So you're thinking about that. You're thinking Mike Zimmer and his pedigree with defensive linemen. Like, okay, this this should be someone, right? And personally, I actually haven't been able to watch the film. I've been really caught up with with the draft. But just hearing things from other people who cover the Vikings and whatnot, they think he's better as a three-tech, actually. So okay. I'm not so sure about his ability there at one-tech. I'll, I'll, I'll get you a better opinion and take on that. Um, when I do eventually get into his film, we got a long offseason to go. So I'll be watching all those late um, free agents, your Demarcus Walkers, Jaleel Johnsons, Vincent Taylors, all those guys. And I'll, I'll get more educated uh, if on you, them. But if, if you want any, uh, if you want any clips for the, the those uh, free rushers, that, and then people say they've got good rushing ability, uh, Demarcus Walker. I think just about every single one of his sacks was not a was not a man v man high quality one. I think it was all just kind of he was the extra man free because other guys were consuming blockers. But uh, yeah, we'll maybe look back on some of those later signings later in the off season. But filling out the roster, I've a couple of picks on defense four. Um, undrafted free agents again the smallest class we've had in terms of undrafted free agents as well after last year was small and it got even smaller this year um, and so I think you've got the two wide receivers there I mean yeah they could be I think there's a, there's a mixed bag there Marlon Williams looks like a linebacker <laughs> plays like you yeah. know when he's got the ball in his hands I don't think he runs a four five nine, but um, you know, there's a two point conversion. I think it's against Cincinnati, but he's dragging bodies in the end zone. How those him or Damon Hazelton are going to make the roster when the minute wide receivers were signed um, remains to be known. But I think guys who two guys who potentially have got a better chance of making the roster, um, and time will tell, are the two Aggies. Uh, the two uh, one was the center, Ryan McCollum, um, who's you know, he had 24 starts in that team, and Carson Green, another senior. Uh, who played right tackle pretty much his entire career there. What do you make of those two guys? Yeah, I think you're right for sure. I think they have a better chance of, of making the roster. There's there's too many wide receivers, too many veteran wide receivers right now um, for those rookies to make it. But, um, yeah, both the A&M guys, they've got starter experience on, on one of the better kind of overall lines. They've got the you know the cadence down. They've, they can work together well. So I think that's interesting for sure. And even the... Um, uh, he even said that he can play either guard spot as well. So I think that's something offensive line versatility. If you can play both guard spots and right tackle, that's that adds a lot of value. I know we hate the word versatility mm. since Bill O'Brien <laughs> has, has made a mockery of that, but 
in all honesty, from a like purely NFL value, like versatility is huge. The more you can do, the better, especially off on the offensive line. If Titus Howard goes down and you can get this dude to walk in, great. If Marcus Cannon goes down at guard and you can get him to step up and play guard, amazing. Because you got one guy who can potentially do multiple different things. That saves you a roster spot. That saves you from bringing, from signing two depth a depth guard and a depth tackle. Now you just got this one guy. He can play both roles. So I definitely like those guys um, the most in terms of our undrafted free agent pool. Yeah, I think Ryan McCollum's got a chance maybe to make this roster or even play at some point at right at right guard because he's he's six five. So I think he's, sometimes I think you know people say that's too tall for a center. Um, and if you watch him in the uh, the Alabama game, he's going up against ninety four, which is DJ. Uh, something his name is I can't remember anyway big defensive tackle and he holds his own he doesn't get pushed back at the point of attack I think it, and you see the pocket that Kellen Mond had to play with last year um, and it, and, it, and I think they were all out of the five that started the game in Bama I think four were seniors so it shows and they played like a, a, a bunch of guys who'd played together for a long time and I think people probably forget because we've just swung so many assets at the old line that that actually, you know, it's all about getting a cohesive unit and that far outweighs, you know, five individual talents. And I think McCollum, if you look at him in the in the in the passing game, I think he's probably suited a bit more to to I think what I think he's maybe potentially a bit more athletic. So he's a, he's probably a bit more of a zone blocker, but in, in pass protection, I think he's the better out of the two. Uh, but if you watch early in that Bama game, uh, Green kicks out and uh, across the across the formation, um, and pulls and and and, and clears the, the 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 lane for a, you know a decent you know chunky yardage on the ground. So I think they've both got stuff to offer. Quite unusual, you sign two guys from the same school um, at similar positions. Um, but I think you know there is there is possibilities there. And I think from just the Two games I watched that in the Florida State one, um, and you see McCollum. I think he's just got a bit more about him, a bit more kind of. He's got a stronger anchor. I think Green kind of looks like he'll get beat to the edge, but I mean you could kick him in at guard, and he doesn't have that problem. So, look, I think you know those two guys could provide some competition. Uh, is the key word that's replaced uh, uh, re- replaced most uh, adjectives about this team, but there's a lot there. Of the positions they didn't go with Jordan, what do you? Th- where do you? Where does that leave us? I think a running back corner. You would have thought they would have picked one up, maybe even a safety, and and you know somebody that could rush the passer as well. Yeah, I think running back we're good. I think there's not many more snaps to be had between Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, David Johnson. So I understand that. Honestly, personally, I, I would have taken a, a running back maybe late sixth, seventh round and just get a guy for the future because it was a it was a decent running back class, especially in the day three, I think. Um, but yeah, the secondary is definitely where I was, I was hoping to get a little bit more bodies over there. I think cornerback, you're looking at the starters. You got Roby on the outside. You got Desmond King on the nickel and you've got potentially Terrence Mitchell. Um, on the other outside and and Terrence Mitchell was probably the free agent that I didn't like the most looking at his tape I mean whew, it was it was not pretty it was definitely not pretty um, so I would have liked a different guy to contest for that starter position but maybe you can get something out of John Reed I think he's kind of a forgotten guy from last year's draft class we never got to see what he could do so hopefully he can take some steps forward whether that's at outside corner nickel corner um, we'll see um, but definitely safety as well. I, I agree with you. I think, you know, obviously Justin Reed and Lonnie Johnson are going to be your your starters, but I would have loved to get a third safety and that guy who can probably play some Mike linebacker in this Tampa 2 
because all the best Tampa twos nowadays, they use a safety kind of hybrid there yeah. in that role to, to play that deep middle. So I would have loved to see that um, right now. That role would probably go to AJ Moore, um, which I, I don't hate him as a player, but also we saw last year with an expanded role that mm, he's probably not starter quality. Now, of course he can always take a jump, um, but I just would rather get more bodies in there, create his favorite word competition um, in that secondary. Yeah, no, I yeah, that's I think it's just the bodies outside at corner. I don't know who's gonna, you know, you don't want it to be like last year, one injury and you're and you're short and you've, you're just generally playing inside corners, outside safeties at corner, you know. And I just think it's, it. I mean, look, I mean, I, it's almost like you want this to. You, I, mean, I don't think this defense could be much worse, but maybe it could be. I don't know. Um, but everybody could pass on us last year, so it doesn't feel like that's been addressed in any, in any way, um, certainly on the back end. But uh, some different picks overall from the draft. Just a couple of things, Jordan. A few technical difficulties. It takes a while to get through this tonight. But why did why do you think Denver let a QB go when there was two two viable options on the board there for you know, when when Drew Locke's not the answer? Yeah, Drew Locke's not the answer. They traded for Teddy Bridgewater, too. So those two quarterbacks, I mean, they're just not high-ceiling quarterbacks, right? And so I think why they let Justin Fields go is the potential Aaron Rodgers trade. That was a big bombshell that got dropped on us right before the draft. And Denver is the number one name that gets mentioned with potentially having a trade package for him. Now, what would be interesting is if they took Fields and, and said, hey, you want Fields, you trust in him more than Jordan Love, but maybe the Packers believe in Jordan Love and, are, and don't want a quarterback back in that trade. But I think that would be really interesting, man. I don't want to see Aaron Rodgers in the AFC. I don't want another talented MVP-level quarterback in the um, AFC, but it's definitely interesting, man, to see all these franchise quarterbacks. They're voicing their opinion. They're not happy with ownership, with management, and they want out. It's it's shocking, really. Yeah, I think it was interesting because Rodgers kind of stated – I think he picked up with a reporter at the Kentucky Derby and he kind of said he wasn't happy that it'd come out and he wanted to keep it in in house. And I think it's obviously a bit different to the Deshaun situation. And but I suppose you probably want more quarterbacks in the market because that keeps the price high. You saw what San Francisco gave up. And another team that came up was he talked about um, Fields going to Chicago. Um, they've obviously moved up in the draft. They've you know made their choice, but does that extra first round pick make the Giants a potential contender now as we go into next off season. If if this goes well beyond June first, just say Miami don't make the trade and they're you know, at the table. You think it's you, you think there was Philadelphia left now and you know if the if this is the way it's going to turn out, do you think the Giants with that extra first and they can offer three first now over the next two years and then if it's the next draft three first, um do you think they've uh, do you think they've entered the race or have a chance in at the race if they want to move on um, from from the guy they got out of Duke? I think it's possible. I think for them, because they don't have as many picks um, as the Eagles and, and the Giants, um, I think they'd have to throw in a guy like maybe Leonard Williams. Maybe it's Dexter Lawrence. Maybe it's you know a receiver like Darius Slayton, even some, someone like that. They'd have to throw in a guy or two for sure um, to kind of sweeten that deal. But I think you're right. It enters their name in the conversation. Maybe they're not the most likely team, but when you're in a negotiating situation, you just want as many people on your on your phone. You want to have as many people's 
like number as possible that you can you can call and, and, and barter and, and use against other teams for leverage. So I, I think you're right on that one. New York, they've entered the conversation. Yeah, and I mean, look, I still hope, and I talked about this last week, I still hope there's a point where you, a last roll of the dice, you can try and sort all this stuff out. Um, I don't I, I don't get any kind of hope. Or, there's, there's nothing we've seen that will make that possible, and I think it's probably a bit of a pipe dream at this stage, and you think, you know, all the, the noise at the draft was reinforcing the message that, you know, he's gone. And uh, I hope that's not the case, but it looked like it could be. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's going to be a long old season. I think sometimes when you when you get to the past the draft, Jordan, it turns the corner, I suppose, in, in the sense of looking towards football. But it's almost like you kind of feel in some ways you just almost want to hit the fast forward and you want to start looking at some of these top prospects in 2022. Because I think, by all accounts, and look, it's so hard to tell at this stage, but I think in terms of overall depth in the draft, I think next year having picks in that is probably going to be more fruitful than this year. But I think there's so many different twists and turns of this off-season. And where do you sit right now with the whole Deshaun scenario and how that kind of shapes us into this time next year? Yeah, it's the Deshaun situation. Obviously, overall, it's it's not ideal. It's far from ideal, especially if the allegations of, of what he has done are true. I mean, it's just... Yeah, I mean, like sometimes you, you think you know a player, you think you know a talent, a star, whatever, and you think he's a, a great person. And, and potentially, if the, if these are, are right, it's just it's kind of heartbreaking to to think that they are a different person that you may think. But in terms of the team and, and from a fan standpoint, you know, maybe going into this off season, what could make it a little less boring is that Deshaun Watson trade does happen post June one. Post June one, the salary cap implications are are a little bit different. And the Texans wouldn't take as much of a hit. That's something that Patrick Storm is, has mentioned a lot. And so that could make it a more viable option for us to trade with. Maybe it's Miami. Maybe they they can hold off on, on signing their rookies that they just signed this year. They can hold off on that and potentially add them into this deal and sweeten the pot. Um, so that's something to look forward to. But other than that, I'm definitely... Looking forward to a little bit of a break, a little bit of a lull in the offseason, recharge, and then get back into it in the into the into the next season and finally get some some football. It'll be fun to watch a good football game again. Yeah, I, I think it's I, I wouldn't trade the, the the any picks unless you know where that first year's gonna be. I think there's too much risk in that. We've already lost out of that with a Tunsil deal. You know, you could have two Sterling picks at the top of both the first two rounds. Um, and that sort of level of talent is hard to come by. I think you know the second round is always great for guys who drop out the first, just by you know volume of QBs or you know it's a couple of teams like you know the Steelers taking a running back, which just made no sense, and it just drops another a guy down the board, and then you think, and then you think at the top, you know we could have solved all our issues and moved on instantly. You know we could have got the best tackle, we could have got the best something um, either side of the either side of the, the first or second round, and we, we we could be in a great position now. So. It's tough. It's tough, I think, and hopefully it will find a way um, forward. But, Jordan, thank you very much. Number 101 issues tonight, trying to get some sound quality together. Hopefully we'll get this out. And uh, I can only thank you for your time, mate. Much appreciated, as always. Yeah, no worries, man. It's always a pleasure, always a great time to talk to you. I love talking to you. I feel like we have similar you know, mindsets as how we look into the game and analyze the game and love watching the film. So always great talking ball with you, man. Thank you for having me on again, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, we'll be back not Tuesday next week, but Thursday next week to talk 
schedule release um, and then hopefully we'll be trying to take a week off at some point in this off season but the news keeps on coming thanks again for Jordan and for his time if you've not already checked it out check us out at podcasttexans.com at podcasttexans on Twitter on Facebook and on Instagram but rounding up another draft eventful one and we'll be back again next week to talk schedule